Good morning again, folks. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk to you about worry and dealing with worry. That can be one of those things that really uh, hinders us and can have a real grip on, on our lives. Um, so I want you to cast your mind back to when you were learning how to drive. I don't know if they still do this in schools or not, but I remember whenever I was turning 17 and being bombarded in school with road safety videos. Now, maybe it's because I'm 17 uh, at the time and was more conscious of them and more aware of them, but I do know that the schools had like this whole class set aside for scaring the life out of you just before you got your test. Not that that was a bad thing, it was maybe good. But Northern Ireland's road safety campaigns are notoriously graphic. And that's the point, they want you to be hit with the seriousness of driving too fast or driving under the influence or not paying attention. One of the slogans that really seems to have stuck through the years is to expect the unexpected, which initially confused me a wee bit because if you're expecting it, then it's not unexpected, which means you can never really technically expect the unexpected. But the message is a good one. Consider the what ifs when you're driving. What if a cyclist is coming? What if there's a car coming the other way and you can't see it before you overtake? What if a pedestrian steps out? What if there's black ice? What if, what if, what if? Expect the unexpected. Be ready for the what ifs on the road. Now, as we go on with our series called Running on Empty, the whole thing's geared towards making sure that we've got enough fuel in the tank to get through this lockdown but to also build up a, a series of lessons that will stand us instead as we seek to get back to normal. Although, although maybe having said that, I don't think we should be going back to normal. I think all of this time, all this lockdown gives us, certainly as a church, a chance to think about our new normal. That instead of just going back to the way, thing, the way we've always done things, to totally rethink things. It'll take a while before we can all go back to the way, could go back to the way things were. But perhaps it's the time to ask the question, is there a better way of reaching out into the community? Is there a better way of utilising the gifts and the skills and the heart of all who come to our church? But anyway, I want to make sure that we're just not a group of people who are just about making it through. That we're so busy, so stressed, so burdened, that we're barely making it through and have long since stopped enjoying coming to church. Stopped enjoying living our Christian life because we're just running on fumes. We're so busy and stressed and anxious and today I want to talk about worry and this can be as simple as dealing with the what ifs in life but sometimes worry can start to dictate and define our lives. The road safety ads were designed not to worry us and that we're driving around terrified but to make us wise. You don't know what everything you don't know everything that's going to happen so therefore drive sensibly. There could be black ice so slow down. A pedestrian could step out keep your eyes on the road. The idea isn't to fixate on the problem, but to come up with an appropriate response. But in life, sometimes you'll meet someone and they are a what-if person. Now, in the right mind, it can make you thoughtful, it can make you discerning, useful. But when it's the only thing that someone says, uh, like, I'm not going to do that because what if? I, I, I can't go there because what if? I don't know what, what. You're probably dealing with a worrier. Worry is a special kind of fear. It is what humans do with simple fear once it reaches the part of the brain called the cerebral cortex. We make fear complex, adding anticipation and memory, imagination and emotion. Worry can take a lot of forms, but it almost always stems from an overwhelming sense of vulnerability and powerlessness. 
So for example, you could have a broken marriage in your past, but the hurt and the impact of that may prevent you from ever feeling comfortable in another relationship again. Now, logic will tell you, but it's a different person, it's a different relationship, it's a different dynamic. It shouldn't be the same result. But what if it is? Or maybe you're brave enough and you do take a step into another relationship and you're constantly afraid that it's going to end and that maybe you're not good enough for him because, well, if my first marriage, maybe it's automatically going to happen. Maybe it's me. Or maybe you're thinking, they're going to cheat on me again. I can't trust them. They're going out with friends. But what if they're not? What if they're doing something else? And it's not based on reality, but this fear starts to come in and control and define the what ifs in a new relationship. And living this way can do three things to a Christian. Number one, it can steal our peace. You can't be worried and content at the same time. One will always cancel the other out. But a Christian should have peace. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. The second thing that worry will do is shift us from faith to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So instead of, of driving sensibly, instead of being able to react to things happening around us and trust God with the rest, worry will say, yeah, but what if God's not big enough? What if God isn't uh, loving enough? What if I'm not driving sensibly enough? What if God wants to punish me instead of bless me? What if he hates me instead of loves me? And so then the third issue is not just that it steals contentment or shifts us to fear, but it can stunt our growth. Worry can paralyze. Instead of growing emotionally or socially or spiritually, worry will slow us all that down because we're scared to step out. Worry is particularly common when uh, in someone who has OCD. In fact, worry can be the best expression of that OCD. When your mind obsesses over negative outcomes at the mere hint of a bad outcome, the worrier is suffering from a type of obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. That's why OCD people have to knock the door three times before going in or flick the lights on and off. They need a certain routine because something terrible might happen if they don't do that. And no matter how much logic that they'll probably agree with that says, look, that's not how it works. Yeah, I know. But what if? I, I just feel better if I do this. There's a Swedish proverb which says, worry gives a small thing a big shadow. I like that. I think it's quite profound. Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. Psychology Today on their website says, worries like blood pressure. You need a certain level to live, but too much can kill you. At its worst, worry is insidious, invisible, a relentless scavenger roaming the corners of your mind, and it will feed on anything that it finds. And if you've got this kind of sense of worry, you'll know that. Just it can latch on to absolutely anything. And some of you watching this will have this OCD style worry. It's just a default. You're not worrying about something, then there's something wrong and you worry about not having something to worry about and you'll make something up. Something small from 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And all of a sudden you're paralyzed because there's this worry about a lie that you told whenever you're seven is god going to hold that against me is the church not going to get blessed because of this should i track down my p3 teacher and tell her i cheated on my spelling test logic says no but there's this part of your brain that says yeah but what if and look if that's you watch on this video but ocd is a medical condition it, there's no cure as such but it can be managed through counseling 
medication, the spiritual obviously as well. Now, some of you watching, that's not your style, that's not what's happening. Um, there's some very valid things, you're not prone to worry, but just circumstances are such that you can't help but think about what's happening next. Uh, there could be cancer diagnosis. Um, there could be real financial issues uh, just with everything that's going on. And actually your questions and your anxiety are valid. They're not based on the what ifs. They're based on the what nows. So how do we respond to this worry? Number one, we pinpoint the problem. Psalm 139 says in verse 23, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's a simple reminder that we need regular MOTs in our souls. Lord, check under the hood. Lord, search me. Check my motivations. Am I being driven by the right fuel here? Is it a trust that is a life of worshipful response to who you are and what you've done in my life? Or is it a panic response to the what ifs? Now listen, you don't pray these verses for someone else. Lord, search them. Try them. Lord, if you change them, my life would be so much better and so much easier. If they just did stuff my way, we'd all be better off. No, this is about us. God already knows what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in their hearts. He knows it all anyway. This is about an open and honest relationship. I have to let him show me what's going on in my heart. Is there worry in my life that's pushing out trust? Is there fear that doesn't belong here in my life? Am I holding on to something? that I really should be handing over to him? Are there cares that are holding me back from growing in Christ-likeness? So what I want you to do is take about 30 seconds and grab a pen and paper, draw a box with some bricks on it and start labeling some of the bricks with your worry. Here's the one that I've done. So maybe there's finances there or career or children, maybe it's faith or guilt or marriage or relationships or future world events, health, Ask God to pinpoint your problems and uh, just uh, as we do this. Now, some of you will have been able to do that in no time whatsoever. You're no stranger to your worries and... But maybe actually having seen them all written down, you're sort of going, oh man, that's a lot of bricks that I'm carrying. Is it any wonder I'm weighed down? Now that I've written them all out, I see I, I've got a lot that I'm carrying around with me. So number two, now that we've pinpointed some of these broad areas, the second thing that we have to do then is put them down. Let's not carry these bricks around with us. Jesus can be so profoundly simple and I love that about his teachings. All the best teachers can say something really wise and put it in a way that everyone can understand. And in Matthew 6, 25 to 27, he says this. That is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, the what ifs. Isn't life more than food? Your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Love that. Jesus says, okay, so you're carrying all these bricks. Is that actually helping? Is worrying adding a single day to your life? Are you better off for all this paralyzing concern? The answer, of course, is no. 
In fact, we know the science tells us that if anything, worry will shorten your life expectancy. If you've been in business for a while, you'll be used to talking about the ROI, not the Republic of Ireland, but the return on investment. If I'm going to invest, if I'm going to put my time and energy and resources and, and effort into this, what's the return going to be? Is it worth the effort? So when it comes to your worry, what's the ROI? What's the return that you're getting on those sleepless nights for the hours of anxiety that paralyzes you from enjoying the people around you? The stats tell an interesting story. 40% of what we worry about never happens. 30% of it's in the past, so we can't change it. 12% of worry is concerns about our health that will never come to anything. 10% of our worry is petty, that I leave the lights on, will my Amazon delivery come on time? Small stuff that won't harm anyone either way. But that leaves us with 8% of worry that qualifies as perhaps legitimate worry. 92% of what we carry around with us can be put down because of it's what ifs, outside our control, outside our remit. It's not going to happen. It doesn't, it can't be changed. It doesn't matter. But there's 8% there left that it should be considered as valid, real worry. So why are we carrying around 92% of what we don't have to? You can't change the economy. You can't spend your life playing the what if games. Is your child safer in the car just because you're worrying all night because for them? No. Is it a valid concern? It might well be. That could fit into the 8%, but you might just worry yourself sick, literally. And that doesn't help anyone. So here's the big question. What do we do about that 8%? Now, because not every worry is worthless. Not every brick that we carry is unnecessary. Now, I would say this. The act of worrying is worthless, but not every worry is worthless. There are legitimate things that our minds can go to and fix it on. So what do we do with that 8%? Well, that takes us to our third point. After we've pinpointed the problem, after we've put down all the unnecessary bricks we're carrying, that uh, we're still left with this 8%. Well, what we do is we cast our cares on Christ. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast or give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Now, pastorally speaking, there are there's usually one phrase that will go down like a lead balloon with people. I don't use it, and I cringe when I hear other people using it. And there's a phrase, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry. First of all, no, it's not okay. And telling people not to worry is going to get you one response. Well, that's okay for you to say. It's not so easy to just not worry about it. Someone turning around and saying they don't worry about it never got the response. Oh, you know, I wish I had thought of that. Okay, yeah, I'll just not worry about it. That fixes everything. No one thinks like that. And, and besides, God never says, just don't worry about it. That 8% isn't worth thinking about compared to how big I am. God never says, don't plan ahead. Don't think about the future. Don't think about what's coming. No, he calls us to use the great matter that he has given us and put in our heads. And okay, yes, he's given more to some than to others, but he wants us to be wise stewards of our time and our money. That requires planning. But beyond what we can do, what more can we do? Some people will worry. Others will trust. 
there was a great tightrope walker called the Great Blondine in the 19th century. Uh, and he famously did several stunts over the Niagara Falls. He walked over it backwards. He did it blindfolded once. He did it on stilts one time. He stopped to fry an egg halfway over it one time. Then there was one time when he went over the falls pushing a wheelbarrow. And when he had crossed, he shouted, OK, who thinks I could do this again? And the crowd went, wow, oh, yeah. And so the Blondine looked at one man shouting and said, OK, sir, do you believe that I can do it? He says, oh, yes, I, I do. Absolutely no problem. And then so the great uh, acrobat says, OK, sir, get in the wheelbarrow. See, that's the difference between believing in God and trusting in God. Belief is fine when it's other people who are risking it. Oh, yeah, I believe God will work it out for you. Yeah, I believe God is good and will come through. I believe God is faithful in your circumstances. But trust is living like you believe it. God is saying, cast your cares. Trust me with the outcome. Get in the wheelbarrow. Yes, do what you can. Use your brain, use that grey matter, expect the unexpected, but trust God for the outcome. Put it in his hands, let him carry those bricks. Trust God, live like you believe him. Let me give you three reasons, three out of many, why you should trust God today. Number one, God has unlimited power. He's big enough to handle your problem. He made the universe, he's got everything spinning. He can handle whatever it is you're carrying, so give it to him. Second reason you should trust him is that he has the best solutions. He's powerful, but he's also wise. He knows the future. He can see what's coming because he's planned what's coming. So why not let him take the wheel? Where he says, but I might not get the best outcome. What if it goes wrong? Trusting God means you know that God's way is the best way. Now, remember, the best outcomes are rarely found at the end of easy street. But the third reason is that God has an abounding love for you. All that power and wisdom is anchored in the reality that God loves you with an incredible love. He is for you. He wants the best for you. That verse from Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Where he says, I, like, I have to do it. Trust says God will do it. But love says God wants to do it. The way you deal with that 8% of worry is a choice. You can choose to worry about it or you can choose to trust it to a loving God. Do you believe that God is big enough? Do you believe that God is wise enough? Do you believe that he is loving enough? Then what do you have to worry about? Imagine our house at the minute. It's usually in some state of chaos between paint and craft and making forts. Girls are baking shortbread at the minute. But imagine I turned to Bethany, who's four, and said, listen, Pep, I'm really not sure how the next few months are going to look. You might have to, you might not be able to start P1 in September. You'll def, will definitely not be able to go away on holiday. In fact, you know, there's no money coming into the church apart from the direct debits. So we may have to cancel Christmas. And she'd look up to me um, with glitter, glue and paint all over. And she'll look at me and say, okay, darling. You'll fix it. She'll carry on playing. She'll carry on watching her film. Because she's a childlike faith that daddy will fix it. Because that's what kids think. She knows I'm bigger and I'm smarter. She knows I love her. So she'll not worry about Christmas because she knows I'm on the case. Now, does that mean as Bethany, as a four-year-old, has never been scared? Has never had questions? Has never had to bring broken things to me to fix? No, that's, that's the routine. 
But she comes to me knowing that I want to help her, that I want to make the burden lighter, because that's what a loving father will do. And so she can fear less, knowing that I'm on the case, that I'm for her. So pinpoint the problem. Search my heart, O oh Lord. Put that unnecessary 92% of worry down. It'll not add anything to your life. Cast that final 8% on the Lord, knowing that he cares for you. Number four, and final point, walk in the peace that the Lord provides. We said at the start that worry will steal our contentment, but trusting God will restore that. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Not because we've been told not to worry about it, but we don't worry because we're handing it over to him. Instead of worrying, we pray. Verse 6 tells us clearly, tell God what you need. It's a simple act of trusting. I'm coming to you as a little child because I trust that you can sort this. So I'm coming. I've broken this. I know that my daddy can fix it. And he said, well, Jeff, how do I do that? What do I say? Well, the verse says, you just tell him, Lord, I need wisdom here. People are looking to me to make a decision here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Lord, help me. Lord, I need patience. Lord, I need courage. Lord, I need guidance. Whatever it is, tell him. I'm going to talk about Bethany again, okay? Because every now and again, she'll be dressing herself and she, you'll see her wriggling and struggling because she's forgotten one of the buttons at the back of her dress or her top. And so eventually I'll, I'll help her and say, listen, dear, do you need anything? Yes, please, dad. So I undo the button and she takes off her top and then she runs straight to earth and goes, mommy, mommy, I did it. Right, okay, fine. But this is how what we do with God all the time. We are twisted and tied up in knots and struggling. And he's standing there saying, look, do you need help with this? Philippians 4, 6 tells us, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Thank him. Be in the habit of being thankful. It helps us to remember what he has already done. That'll help us to build trust in him for what we need right now For this, because we'll have specifics to refer back to. So instead of thinking, Lord, how can you do this? We're praying, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. You were for me back here. You did this. You did this. You did this. So Lord, I'm coming to you again. But you see, the big thing about worry, it's not that God can meet our needs, but that he wants to be what we need. Not that he can just be our resource, but that he can be the actual object of our focus and desire and need. The story of God is that he is my provider, that he is my protector, that he is my professor, that he is my peace. Peace isn't that I've got nothing to worry about. Peace is not that I'm sufficient for all these things by myself. My peace comes from the fact that I can rest my heavenly father being sufficient. You know, I've never felt more like a fraud when people compliment me on a sermon because that's not me. There's plenty of people walk away from church completely uninspired, just going and thinking about their dinner and everything else. And so if you've, if you've ever left church and impacted 
by what you've heard, then that's God. All those other people, they heard me. <laughs> you've heard God. That's him. Besides, it's embarrassing how long it takes me to pull messages together and how dependent I am still on my notes. Trust me, left to my own devices, our church would be empty. Well, okay, technically it is empty at the minute, but you know what I mean. Anything of work that happens is not by my works, but by the goodness and the sufficiency of God. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So folks, thank him for what he has done and let that peace guide and guard your life. The Christian life is not that God has sent us out to go and to do things on his behalf, but that he wants us to come along with him as he builds his kingdom. Last week, I was chopping down trees and a big ugly bush and was replacing them with little plants and different things. And while I was sawing and chopping, obviously my, my daughters were interested, but they were watching from a safe distance. My wife sat and watched me as well. But after I dug up the roots and all the rest of it, the girls decided that they wanted to help me plant some of these new flowers. Now, I didn't need my help. I'd done the hard bit and if anything, they, would have, they slowed me down. But I had a great time sharing that time with them. I had more fun doing it with them. I think that's a really good picture of the Christian life. Don't, now, don't judge it by the state of my garden though, but God will build his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he wants to bring us in and be part of that process of what he is doing. One of the favourite games that we're playing in our house at the minute is Prison Escape. Okay, the idea of the game is I'm the prison guard and uh, Sophie and Bethany have to escape me. But when I catch them, I lift them up over my head and I literally launch them uh, onto the bed in the spare room. Now, the difference between terror and excitement in that game is that they know daddy. <laughs> they know that daddy's strong enough, wise enough, loving enough to play this game. The game doesn't work the same if a random stranger comes in and starts chasing them and throwing them about the place, okay? That would be abusive. That's terrifying. But the game is so much fun because even though they're not in control, they know that daddy is. Trusting God means that this life we have, this adventure we have with our Heavenly Father means that we may not always be in control, but he is always in control. So we don't have to be terrified. We don't have to be worried. He will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't want you to be overwhelmed by worry. He wants you to be overwhelmed by his presence. And that starts with the relationship with God that says, I trust you. Maybe your worry and those bricks you're carrying mean that you need to come and say, Lord, help me to trust you more. Help me to be overwhelmed by your presence today. Draw me closer to you. I think one of the big differences between men and women is that men always have to carry the shopping bags in from the car in one go, right? It's true. It never matters how many bags there are or how heavy they are. We see it as a challenge to carry the weight. Pride demands that we carry the weight. My wife is not so stupid. She'll come in uh, with what she can handle comfortably and say, Jeff, there's more in the car. <laughs> Does the result change? No, all the bags get brought in. But the impact is completely different. With my way, I'm lying punctured in the, in the corner, arms an inch longer. Her way means she's rested. Life does not have to be a heavy load that we carry. It doesn't have to be so strenuous. Folks, this 8% that we're struggling with, 
that has you at your wit's end, trust Jesus. Catch your breath and let him handle the weight of your worry. Let's pray. Father, for those who are worrying, for those who are prone to worry, for those who just have this compulsive thing to latch on to something and to fixate on something to worry about, Lord, I pray that you will give their minds rest. Lord, that they would be so overwhelmed by your presence. Lord, that they would be so in awe of who you are, that fear and doubt and worry disappears. Lord, that they'd be in no doubt how much you love them. Lord, they would have no doubt as to how much uh, you are for them. Lord, that they would understand that all their sin has been dealt with by the cross. And they stand forgiven, they stand redeemed, they stand as children of God, commissioned to be on, uh, on a mission to build your kingdom with you. And so, Lord, for all the uh, small things that cast big shadows in our lives, whether it's a virus, whether it's finances, whether it's something that's anchored in the past or in the future or right now, Lord, help us to just hand that over to you. Help us to do what we can to the best of our ability and then leave the rest up to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.